Welcome to a special episode of Rants, Raves, and BS. This evening we'll be doing things a little different. We have a guest with us today. His name is Mr. Lawrence Etheridge II. He's a police officer. We want to have a show where we can basically get their perspective of an officer, particularly a black officer, concerning things that's going on, the current events, and not only that, the shooting that happened this past weekend. So, with that being said, you know, introduce yourself to the people and let them know where you work at. Well, I work in law enforcement in, uh, I would say, just outside of Metro Atlanta. Okay. Like yeah. All right. All right. All right. The format we'll be using today is more so an interview-style format, uh, which is something a little different than what our listeners are accustomed to. We would ask Mr. Etheridge a numerous amount of questions concerning police-related issues that's going on today, and we will also dive into the shooting that happened this past weekend in Atlanta. So um, we're thankful that uh, he was able to give his time to come on our show and enrich us with this knowledge. So we're going to dive right in. I'm going to let my luxurious, illustrious colleague, Mr. Gatson, start us off. All right. So, um, when I spoke to Terrence last night and he told me you were going to be on the show, I was, um, I was extremely happy because this definitely gives not only the people insight, but it definitely gives me my own insight because just to be perfectly honest, I've been pretty much upset with. I'm not going to say all law enforcement, but just the ones that I've seen who have seemingly taken this excessive force into their own hands. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, you, that you're Terrence's brother-in-law, this, this kind of just makes me want to scale it back a little bit. But one of the questions that I do have is um, what's, what is the procedure if someone actually, no, I'm sorry. Let me no. I, let me ask this one first. Sorry. What are you looking for when you are conducting background checks for police officers? Well, now that's a good question. You, you. There's a couple of criteria. You look at a person's character, so you're gonna basically look at a person's. The initial part is a driving history, a criminal history an employment history, and a uh, residence history. Okay. Because you want because what you're trying to do is establish, is this person stable? Is this a good and decent person? Is this person, does this person pay their bills in a timely manner? Um, that's that's the crux of, of what you are doing. Does this person have a good driving habit? Because one of the main components of the job is driving. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really um part of it in the beginning stages of it okay and then um you you go into other testing where um depending on what agency they might have to take a psychological and then there's another type of test which is a uh, voice stress an analysis 
where they will test when they ask you questions uh, to see where your stress is and see if you're showing stress, if you're lying. And then you will have a psychological. Okay. Okay. And that's to get higher. And that process takes a while because generally speaking, it can take anywhere from three, six months, um, just depending on who you work for. Okay. Okay. And, and, and what you've done in your life. They're also going to look if you, you know, of course, check your military record. Okay. Were you honorably discharged? Dishonorably discharged because those are non-qualifiers, you know, things that will might take you out of the process. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, um, you know, this past, uh, was it, the weekend, um, we had... Um, I forget his name. What's the name? Rayshard Jeff. Rayshard Brooks. Brooks. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, you know he tragically lost his life. Um, uh, you know at that Wendy's in Atlanta. All right. right. My my perspective of it was that you know I felt like especially the first officer on the scene. I felt like you know he did a great job. He like relatable to the person and um just basically like you know had that mutual respect you know, in a way to not escalate things or to keep things at a, you know, conversation pace or just running through the procedure, you know. Um, and when the second cop got there, you know, he came in cold. And, you know, I felt like, um, me personally, this is my opinion, uh, I mm. felt like he was a little bit redundant, overly so, in, in a way condescending, um, you know, to the fact, like, at one point he asked him, you know, what was he drinking and do he said he didn't know or thing like that, but he kept asking like that. I mean, and my point was that, you know, what's the point of asking when you already deemed that he was a DUI? So, what kind of um, what does it matter what he was drinking? The fact that he was that he was drink drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, um, and my my stance on that, you know, I feel like for the most part, all of them did everything right. It's up until the end where. You know, I said that if any force had to be used, then he should have shot him in the leg or something like that. Um, so, what with that situation? You know, that, I just gave you a synopsis of my opinion. Like, what, what do you think about that situation overall? Well, let me say this, um, and and I'm gonna give y'all a, a legal, some legal terminology or some legal understanding what police officers go through, and the courts will look at this fact that police officers are often forced to make split second judgments in circumstances that are often tense, uncertain and rapidly evolving. Right. Okay. So with that being in mind, you have to understand you can go from zero to 60 in a matter of that one second. Right. Right. And so you're processing a bunch of data that in your mind, through your eyesight, through your, 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 your hearing, your touch, and you're trying to make all these decisions in a matter of seconds. So also, you also have to understand what is, there are different functions, even though you're a police officer. And there's the training that will, um, like the one gentleman, the one officer, I think the ball head one that came in a second, he was yeah. part of a DUI task force. Okay. So basically... So his job is to take people who are seemingly impaired off the street. 
uh, okay. who are violating the law. So let's go uh, back. First thing, in the state of Georgia, driving is not a right. Right, right. And that, that's the first thing people need to understand. So in essence, you if they say, if the state of Georgia deemed for whatever reason that they don't want you riding on their roads, they have that ability to do so. Yes. Now, so up to the, and then let me answer to, to you, Terrence, let me answer this. Police officers are not to maim people. If you shoot someone in the leg purposely, mm-hmm. you you have an artery in your leg that if you strike it, it you'll bleed out in a matter of seconds, right? Okay. And I know that sounds and I know that sounds kind of sounds kind of uh, indifferent in the sense of if you shoot someone in the chest, you know you have vital organs there. So right. basically, anywhere you shoot someone, you have vital organs. Yeah. So to answer that question, when you're in a moment and you see someone have a weapon that you use, uh, a police officer could make that decision to use what would be your weapon to be deadly force in that determine in that decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, in that in that scenario, um, unfortunately, like TV. They hit every time they're marked, every time they shoot a gun. That's not in real <laughs> yeah. life. When you're, yeah. you, when you're, you know, you're breathing, you're running, you're moving up and down. Um, and so, you know, it's not just going to be like this little grouping, like it looks like when people go to the range and shoot, they like, look, see my target look good. Mm-hmm. That's not how it is. Yeah. So the unfortunate part for me to to say that what was done is either right or wrong would really be um, I, and, I, and I'm not saying that I can't criticize what a police officer does but what I'm saying is I understand how the courts will look at a set of circumstances mm-hmm. and might rule that it's justified that does justified means that it fits within the legal definition of the law or why they, or why a police officer did what they did? Yeah. yeah. Now, Does that necessarily mean yeah. that it was oh, right ahead. in that situation? Does it necessarily mean that it's right in that situation, or right how everything that the totality of circumstances and every each individual event that led up to that? Yeah, you might be able to criticize that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's where that's sometimes because everything is a part of the whole thing. Right. And I know I sound like I'm not answering it, but I honestly, I, I'm I'm telling you, when you are in a situation, especially, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, but especially where um, I tell you this, I, in order to use a taser, you have to get tasered. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and and I can promise you, I can matter of fact, I can shoot you, Terrence, a video of mine just so you can look when I got tasered, and I promise you. Um, you're not moving. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, like a lot of people, what happens, just a side note real quickly about that is it's, it's designed to keep, it's, it's, it's based on your neurons and all the th- and thoughts and yeah. stuff like that. It, but basically it, it separates you. Right, the thought from the movement, from the action. Yeah. So, if, so if a police officer get tasered, we're always taught that there's at least one gun there. We knew there were at least two guns there because each police officer brought one themselves. 
So right. you have to maintain control, mm-hmm. and that's the way you're trained. And so right. when you're in that mindset, that begins to be what you say, oh, my gosh, they got my taser. And then I can see, based on my training experience, when it lit up, I saw that he actually pulled the trigger of the taser. Oh. And I don't know if I yeah. don't know if it actually had not previously been deployed or not. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that when you take away all the emotion of it, because God knows anyone would be upset. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you can't help but be upset. But once you go to the the, the actual fact finding stage of it, it becomes you you start asking those questions and you start piecing everything together. That's when within the confines of a use of of a of a justified use of force or a non-justified use of force. And then to answer one question, a person running away from you but turn around and mm-hmm. use a weapon towards you, shooting them in the back doesn't correlate like, oh, you can't do that when they're they're trying to what you perceive as harm you. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So if I'm running away and I turn around, even though I'm still running away, my back is to you, but my arm and head is facing you and I'm attempting to harm you, yeah. you're going to yeah, react that to that. <clears throat> but there again, I don't have everything that goes with the, the set of circumstances yeah. and everything, you know, to know if the taser had been deployed and all of that, because that will play a part into the prosecuting um, agency, which would be the Fulton County DA's office, to make a determination is this person uh, going to be charged when they take it to, I mean, well, when they present it to a grand jury, because every shooting actually goes to a grand mm, okay. jury. I, I don't know if know everyone that. knows that. It, it goes to a grand Yes. And they determine if there's going to be a true bill or no bill. And the grand jury has the right to ask for everything that we're talking about. They want to know, well, did, was that a, a taser that had not been deployed, had not been used, or did he deploy it at the time he actually um, turned around on the police officer? Also, we have tasers that have multiple cartridges because you're able to use it on multiple people if you need to. So even though you deployed one, you can still deploy it again if need be. You see what I'm saying? So that's the difficulty when you see something like that. And of course, you know, we always want to leave, to me and my, the way I was trained, especially because I come from a a law enforcement background, you want to lead with compassion, you know, but sometimes circumstances escalate to where you can't do, you know, what you, because I don't, I, I'm sure, you know, that that's not what you wanted when you get up and go to work. You know, that's not, that's your worst day. That's your worst day. So that one right there, um, there's there's a couple of questions that would have to be asked before you say, you know, totally this was either justified or non-justified, but just based on some of the elements there um, and the fact that I could see that that taser had lit up 
not under, not knowing if mm-hmm. the, it could extend the prongs out, which would actually, if striking, could incapacitate right. the officer who has a gun. And you and you can't. What if you know? Well, yeah. you know, he could have just oh, kept running. Yeah, he could have if he incapacitated yeah. the officer or came back and took the gun. Right. So that's 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 the problem that you have. So you can only stick with the facts and that at the base value of what I saw, even though it is not something that you want to see, you could almost say it might be ruled justified for what a reasonable person who sees this might say could be justified based on just those circumstances of having a taser. And I know that individuals say that a taser is less than lethal and that is where it's considered but in the same token, you already saw this individual, and I'm not disparaging him by any stretch of the imagination, um, but they, there was a physical altercation and then, you know, running away and then this is yeah. this part of the incident. Now, so, yeah. Does now, that um, help y'all out? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, um, you know, even before you told me about, like, you know, the legal part of it, I really didn't think I didn't think that in the end it would result in any charges being brought for him because, you know, like you said, um, you know, it's a split second decision and things like that, you know, and, um, and he went through the, they went through the process, you know, they tried to, you know, cuff him, then they tried to tase him and then it escalated from there. So, I mean, I, I didn't, I don't foresee any charges being brought against him, period, in a way. Uh, but you know when you explain the legal part, you know that just makes even more sense about why why it's not. Understand? Um, but Jeff, I know you got a question you want to get here, but I, I want to uh, ask this real quick. Go, go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. I know. Yes, sir. You know everything you said. You know you explained it eloquently, and uh, you made me see some points that I didn't even think about, especially about the fact that if he had to hit him with the taser, he could have came back, and got his gun. You never know. You don't want to play what else, especially like. I'm sure y'all trained not to be in a what if situation, basically. Um, but is there any way that you can go through something in a way to try to, you know, preserve life in a situation like that? Or go ahead. You know, no, I'm, just... oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, honestly, I'm glad you said that because, man, I'm going to tell you, that's often something that that is often not spoken about more often, preserving life. Um, And, you know, we hear the the constant protect and serve, but the protection is the protection of life. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, everything, honestly, that's the crazy part. Everything that we are trained to do is actually about mm-hmm. the protection of life. What happens is when you're in a set of circumstances, when you're dealing with a situation, only person you know whose thoughts yes, that's true. control are yours. So the problem is when you're dealing with someone else and then they become either passive aggressive or actually active aggressive, then it becomes okay, we used to have what is called a use of force continuum. That's out the window because there's no steps to where you have to go. You might get to a scene and have to go straight to your, your handgun. You might be at a scene and use an impact weapon like your Aspartame. 
it just and it also depends on how much like I said you might not have time to do something so everything that we do is about preserving life and I'll tell you this um, I often talk with our leadership because sometimes I feel that law enforcement do a bad PR job of actually showing people how these situations can erupt like taking an actual incident that someone actually had and actually running regular citizens through it and say, okay, let me see. Go ahead and run yeah, this and see idea. how y'all handle yeah. it. And you will find yourself, you will really find yourself in some some real weird situations, some tough situations, because I'm telling you, things will happen. I'll give you an example when you're talking about preserving life. Okay. We, we know that right now in our country, and I, I, I have no issue with being criticized at, and mm-hmm. as far as our profession and, and in terms of trying to make sure that we're doing everything possible to do exactly what you said, which is preserve life, because that, that's real. Because the uniqueness of, of being in law enforcement is it is the only occupation that is given the legal justification to take a life without having to yeah. ask anyone. And with that awesome responsibility deserves a critique, a criticism when it's not done correctly. And being black, I also understand when people say how they're being treated, because I get all of that. But what happens a lot of times in law enforcement, as it filters down from the top, from the chief of police or a sheriff, all the way down to the regular patrolman or deputy, a lot of stuff get politicized. So let me give you what I mean. Okay, we'll have equipment like less than lethal, electronic control device, which is a taser, impact weapons, and ash baton, which is an expandable metal baton, um, pepper spray, um, chemical irritants, or a handgun, which is deadly force. But there are, are so many other less than uh, less lethal um weapons or or tools that can be used but guess what you can't buy them because the mayor and city council or the county commissioners won't let you buy them we don't need that and so there are i mean every year there are conventions uh where people or or people who come and show you the newest stuff that you could use to save lives but you gotta have money to do it and if they, they deem it not necessary, you're stuck yeah. with what you get. Now, I'm not telling you that some people might not have the actual mental aptitude and capacity to actually, although they, they had the background, you see what I'm saying? They had the background, but they don't actually really have the mental aptitude to deal with this fast, intense, constantly evolving set of circumstances that they're faced with every day. So, that also is something that you have to look at. And then there are other variables. I give you another variable about preserving life. You take people who might have been in the military, right? Um, being in the military is not the same as being in policing. I know people think it is, but it's not. I've been in both, and there are differences. But sometimes what happens, and this is where some the word trauma, PTSD, and different things can actually affect you, you might actually be a good police officer, but there could be something that triggers something inside of you because of what you've already previously experienced in the military, and you might act in a 
you might act in a or have a response that's counterproductive to a law enforcement career as opposed to a military yeah. career. So that that can happen. So there's just a lot of things that, you know, um, one of the things I see that people talk about in this uh, criminal justice reform is about counseling and psychologicals. And I think that's important. I think that's something that should be done um, probably maybe at least, um, of course, if you're in a deadly shooting, uh, you're going to have to go through a set of, you, you're going to have to be seen by a mental health professional before you can be cleared to yeah. go back to work. But I think there, I think any police officer, any sheriff, deputy, any correctional officer should actually by state law have to go every year just to make sure that they're in the right space mentally to um, do this, do this job. I'm glad you said that about like the funding because um, you know, funding where you can have more non-lethal weapons uh, because there's this, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about criminal justice reform, reform. There's this uh, movement of people saying like defund the police. Now I spoke on the podcast last week. And I said, I don't necessarily think that's the, that's the right way to go. Honestly, I don't think it's going to address the issues that we're facing. And uh, based on what you said, you know, with the weapons and the funding to get those non-lethal weapons, it kind of can be counterproductive to um, non-lethal situations. And and that's true. Well, well, let's 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 talk about that. Different. And I hear some people say, well, you know, we should build better schools and take money from the police. But here's the problem. First of all. It's an elected board that yeah. handles schools. It's called the Board of Education. Yeah. It's in Georgia. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, so, so, so if you got a raggedy school or that's, that's they, another thing. Yeah, they definitely. I was about to say they definitely need reform too. Absolutely. <laughs> well, see, and that's the that's the thing that people don't. But I'm gonna tell you, if you actually look at budgets for school systems, it is almost bigger than oh, budgets yeah. for cities. Oh yeah. And oh, you yeah. ask yourself, how is my school? How my school is like, why do I have a, a, a class with one teacher and 30 kids, but this budget is like 500 million, but then you look at the operating budget of a city, it's yeah, like 200. Right. Like, that don't make any sense. Like, where is this money going? But that's enough, like you said. But that, So let's talk about, my thing with, with that is, and, and, and people have their right, and I have no issue with it. I just want to know what is the, what's the end result when you remove them? Who then becomes um, the protector of the or the guardian of the community. As you know, I the one thing, and I guess age actually makes you begin to because oftentimes you'll learn you become more conservative as you get older because you acquire more material things and you yeah, know how yeah. hard you work for it and you ain't yeah. trying to lose it because yeah. you might not get another one. And that's where young people don't, where we all been young and like, yay, let's do this. And then you're like, no, I ain't doing that. Yeah. No, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you yeah. get older. So, so I, I, I'm patient because I understand the evolution of life. I understand where you at when you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, because I've gone past them stages. Um, but in the same token, right is right and wrong is wrong. Yeah. Um, and they're not wrong in wanting things to be better. Can't get mad with things wanting to be better. The whole point of it is when people are talking about de-escalation techniques, first of all, 
an officer's presence alone should begin to de-escalate a set of circumstances that are ongoing. In a community, when you come, the people should know who you are as that officer. They should know your character. And so if they know that they can trust you, when you arrive on the scene, that's a de-escalation because they're like, okay, Officer Etheridge is here and I can trust him because he's shown in the past that he can be trusted. That's on us. That's a de-escalation right there because they might be upset, but they know I'm going to be treated with respect and he's going to make the right decision for this incident, not hold what I did last week over my head or do you see what I'm saying? And I think that's where, that's also with the mental health stuff. Like it helps clear out when you when you get clarity and you're able to if you don't have also the just self discipline to not to not basically hold people in a space all the time. Now I'm not saying don't be tactically sound um, and physically safe. What I'm saying is there's no harm in being respectful and showing people your character. You know. Yeah. Like we're. In most communities, you're going to go. We used to be taught that 80% of the problems in your community are by 20% of the people. Hmm. So that means the houses, you're going to keep going to the same. Huh? That's profound. Right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. Right. And so you're going to go to the same houses consistently. You begin to know these people. So you 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 lead with your character, which should be I'm gonna treat everyone the way I want to be treated, the way I want my loved ones to be treated, regardless of how many you have with these individuals. I'm gonna still be decent. I'm gonna still be respectful, uh, and I'm gonna do my job the correct way, the best of my ability. That's what you have to do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, All right, go ahead, um, Joe. Joe next my question. next one is, um, what's the procedure if someone runs while being arrested? Well, there's not like a set in stone procedure. Okay. I mean, if you if you have developed if you have probable cause to make an arrest and someone runs, well, most likely you're going to chase okay. after. Them. You're gonna, you know. Um, I will say, <coughs> excuse me. A lot of that also comes with age. Yeah, okay. you know, when you're young, you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that makes sense. I'm gonna run, <laughs> you know. But of course, when you get older, you're like a little bit more prudent. Like, uh, yeah, my knees and feet ain't gonna take this up. But I got your ID, so I take that one. <laughs> so we're not, we're not okay. So to kind of to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, you you said something that kind of mm-hmm. stuck out. You said you got their ID. Mm-hmm. So if you, I mean, because like you said earlier, just seeing the 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 dynamics of Mr. Brooks getting killed, you know, of course, I think everybody mm-hmm. wishes it could have been handled differently. And one of the questions mm-hmm. I always asked was, why didn't he just run after him? And then, you know, I thought about, well, is is there ever a time, not even you, maybe another officer, you know, said, you know what, I got his information, I'll just let him go. I'll just get him the next time. Have you ever said that to yourself? Right. Um. Nah, nah, I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Say, um, in, in as a patrolman, okay, because that's a different position. I see. Now, as a detective, yes, that's different because I, I'm not on the street every day. I got you. Yeah. So my inter, my my interaction as a detective is almost specific in nature, 
But as a as a patrolman, yeah, I, I didn't chase. I've been on foot chases, jumping over fences, all that. Um, because I'm 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 basically like I said, I have probable cause to make an arrest, and I'm gonna make that arrest. But I'll say this, and as behind him, it wasn't until he turned around with yeah. the taser is when the shots were fired, based yeah. on the video. So, you know, they were chasing him. Um, so, but there again, you know, there's some elements since I wasn't there, I can't really share, but I'll give you my, my experience. Let me, let me, let me think of something where I chased. Um, I'll give you a good one. Okay. Um, I used to work a part-time job at the skating rink and one day this young lady who was in a relationship with a young man, they were mad at each other. And so she was like, she came and told us that he had a warrant. Mm. And so I went around to get him. And he was a pretty decent brother. Never had any issues. He used to skate all the time. You see him all the time. So I went to get him. He said, yeah, what's going on? Uh, definitely because, you know, he knew my okay. face from where I worked. Uh, so he was like, well, let me take off my skates. So he kneeled down. And I swear it was almost like, in a, you know how they start in track? Yeah. How they, how your mark, yeah. they raise up. Get set. <laughs> My man took them skates off, and I swear that's what he looked like. He shot out the door. I said, God, I'm running. So I'm running. I'm chasing Buddy. So I'm running, and I'm, you know, I'm in shape. I'm young then. I'm running behind. I'm thinking I'm about to get him. I ran smack dab into a Ooh. tree branch. Not oh, no. Man. Yes. Man, I saw Tweety Birds. <laughs> and my man yeah. was gone. He was yeah. gone. Come to find out, he was on like he was wanted out of like three states. I don't have been on him. Some kind of uh, uh, most wanted oh, wow. show or something. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, I didn't even know the brother's name. I, I've seen his face, but you know, I don't. I speak. You know, let folks go ahead on yeah. do their thing. But yeah, right. so. That was that was the, you know I always tell, I even tell my kids about that because I mean that that tree band won that day. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so those kind of things happen. People will yeah. get away. Um, I, I thank God I've been blessed that no one has literally um, had yeah. a weapon pointed towards me. Now I've taken guns off of people who have done shootings mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. in my career. And I've been blessed to thank God I'm still alive because they could have right. went another way. So um, so that's just how it goes. You know, like I said, these situations, they don't like we we are kind of how do I want to use it? If you took us, we would we would be a straight line if you made, you know, and then the incidents are like wavy lines. Yeah. They go up and down. We got to okay. be a straight line. And so the problem is when we deviate or when we have to use, do something that shocks the conscience of people, people are like, oh, my God. But yet it, it's sometime within what that situation requires. Okay. Uh, so I hopefully that is kind of explain, you know, not maybe that, that circumstance, that incident there, but it gives you kind of perspective on how things can yeah. actually go. Okay. All right. Um, my next one is basically like I want to know like what is the morale right now? Like being a cop at this time, specifically a black cop, a black cop. 
Like, what's the morale like? Well, you know, I, I now that one I could probably only just speak for me. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. Right. You know, it's hard to see. It's hard to see everything that's gone on because the loss of life is 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 it, tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. You know, that is that is. I mean, there's no there's no way you can measure the seriousness. And I'm not even a family member that lost a loved one. But it affects you because you're like, geez, this it hurts in a way that, you know, is indescribable. And and the sad part, the crazy part is we all are experiencing this. We all are now traumatized by these incidents because we are seeing them. And despite how tough you might be, that's that's some trauma there. Um, Morale, you know, at the end of the day, I don't I don't worry about the criticism, because I know for me, I'm going to treat people the way I want my daughters, my sons, for me, my mother to be treated. I don't, I, you know, I, I've been blessed to be able to keep my mental capacity where I don't lose focus that, you know what, when I go to a call, they didn't call me because people are getting scholarships. They calling me because somebody's hurting, being hurt, upset, mad, distraught, or whatever the case may be. And with that, I'm going to be the light in that situation. Um, and so I try to, I try to keep lead with that. So I don't let myself lose focus. Does wearing this badge has always been hard. I mean, cause I'm in a double yeah. negative situation. Mm-hmm. Me talking to, to anyone, they like, man, you the police, you don't even matter. I'm like, dude, this, this right, ain't pain. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, this, this don't wash off brother. <laughs> you know, Oh no, you feel just like they do. No, I have a job to do because, see, here's the thing. If you went to the doctor and the doctors, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, people don't make it. You don't, if you go out and, and say, you a doctor, you don't care, well, that don't kind of right. make sense. You know, you, so people don't understand. Their, our job is, like I said, the uniqueness of it is is where we're actually getting hit with because it almost seems like there's no honor in what we do to people. And that's where, but there are so many citizen contacts where officers uh, are able to resolve a situation, even if they have to use deadly force, but it's, 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 it's not to this level. But what we've seen, we've seen so many instances where um, people see stuff and they're like, oh my gosh, how did, you know, they're shocked. They're like, oh my, this is, this is crazy. And so, you know, with Mr. Floyd, that's one of them. You're like, oh, heck no. And, and with that comes out the anger, the frustration, the positivity. And, and, and you have to be, like I said, if you work in a community, you really need to be building up some equity, some trust equity with the people in that community. So they know that you actually care about these people. So when you stop their kids, they know, you know, Officer Etheridge, if he stopped you, you know, then it had to be a reason. But you know how you how you how you actually create that? When you see someone in the community doing something and you know like especially if they're a child or juvenile, go to their parents, say, look, you know, I had to stop your son. Um he was doing whatever or she was doing whatever. You know, I just want you to know because I really don't want them to get in trouble. That's building equity. When you like, I get. I remember one day um, I went to get some lunch, and of course I'm a I'm an investigator. I don't have to wear a uniform, uh, so I'm in um, 
civilian clothes and this one brother he looked like he was getting some food for um his lunch but when he opened up the door I smelled that fresh aroma of cheese. And, uh, and you know, they ain't made tre- they ain't made trees legal right. in Georgia. No, they haven't. Right. So I look, right. But you know, I understood the brother was, you know, trying to get some lunch. I saw so I pulled him aside. I, I didn't do it in front of nobody. I said, bro, listen, if you home, can't nobody say nothing to you. And that's yeah. Can't nobody, nobody say nothing to you. Don't get no more straightforward than that. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. You know, you know, and, and so people act like that don't go on. I didn't ask the brother his name. Yeah. Give me an ID. No. You know, just look, young brother, yeah. come on. Dude, I, I mean, at home. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Yeah, that's, that's true. And then, you know, that kind of, I guess that kind of segues to my last question in a sense so i actually i actually live in gwinnett county and of course in gwinnett county it's a lot more um okay it's a lot more officer of the of the uh caucasian persuasion that i see here and of course it kind of kind of puts me on mm-hmm. edge a little bit um but I, I try not to think negatively um even if it is a white cop that i yeah. might see riding behind me or you know anything like that but what is um how do you handle racist officers that are known to profile minorities i guess if you've ever been in that situation you know you know i'm i'm a granted i get where a lot of times it seems like nothing is ever Mm. done but i think that day is done i mean I, i honestly i think everybody's gonna be held accountable for their actions like in leadership i was taught this i could love you but if you have violated the rules okay. or the policies or the law, yeah. I'm gonna have to walk you up out of here. But and and that the true heart of leadership is you got to hold yourself accountable and hold everyone that you are responsible for accountable. If they violated the policy and yet they're found to be in violation of that policy, then you have to hold them accountable in accordance with the policy. You can't slap them on the hand and say, Jay, don't do that again. Yeah, yeah you know. But but leadership, let me tell you something. Leadership is so important. And and in, in law enforcement, leadership comes in layers. So you have leadership, you have um, managers, and then you have supervisors. And then you should have mentors. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But, okay. but that's not how some, but you have leadership, that's your chief or sheriff. Managers, that's your deputy chiefs, captains, uh, Lieutenants, then you have supervisor. Well, lieutenants would be a supervisor, and, and sergeants. Those they fit in that narrative. Okay. And then you should have mentors, which are older officers, you know, seasoned veterans who say, "Hey," um, which you you get that when you go through your field training program. But to me, it should be that you always have a mentor, someone that's yeah. responsible for you, so that you don't. You know, that you have a trusted voice that you could call and say, hey, um, I got this situation. How do you know? Because sometimes on a call, you can't do that. You know, you might be sitting in your car and you say, okay, let me call, you know, investigator Etheridge, let me ask a question because I don't need to mess this up. Okay. You know, and, and so, and you try to do that for people. Sometimes they accept it, sometimes they don't. But I, to me, I think that's necessary. And that's what your sergeants are there for. That you know they, but sometimes they're spread between people. But either way, those individuals are to set that tone 
about what you do. But once again, let me talk about it, it being incentivized based on performance because, you know, the first thing that people want to get rid of is security or policing, but the most thing that you need is security or policing. You know, <laughs> like you can't walk down the street if you ain't got no security. Yeah. You know, if you mm-hmm. you know, so people will do that. But I'm telling you, the politicization of law enforcement, like you have you have a lot of folks who always wanted to be a cop, but now, but you know, they went the other route. So they are mayor or they are something. And now they telling you how to do something. And a lot of cops behavior is, well, let me give you this gun and let you go handle, see how you do. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'm telling you is it's, everybody think that it, it goes like, oh, I, I know what y'all do. Like I used to hear a lot of people in our community where I used to live say that all the time. And I, so one day I taught a class and what I did, I took them down and I gave them a scenario that they had to search and look for me. Hmm. And so after we did the scenario, I asked how they felt. And they, one of the biggest things that everyone said was, even though I know this is a controlled environment and I knew when nobody in here had hurt me, the mere fact that I had to go in here and search made me kind of scared and apprehensive. Uh-huh. So I said, you in a controlled environment. Imagine I come to your house on a 911 call and your door kicked in. Think how I feel. This gun, this gun yeah. it's a uniform. It don't give you like some protection. <laughs> it's cloth. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't a force field, yeah. you know. Right, right. And it, you know, so people, so you, you know, you you gotta understand everything that go into it. And like I said, the problem is oftentimes, and this is one of the biggest things when I used to teach criminal justice, is explaining to I would ask my students, do you know your neighborhood police officer? Why would I need to know them? Huh. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. that kind of helps you out if you have a problem. Matter of fact, it's harder to give you a ticket if I know who you are. If, yeah. I, if every weekend I'm talking to you about my favorite, like LeBron and you like Kobe, and I'm, we, we jive, you know, when we talk jump to one another through the week, and then one day you, you make a left turn and you didn't use the signal, and I pull you over because I didn't know when I get up there, I'm like, hey, Terrence, don't do that again. All right? <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if I don't know you, because when I went to hostage negotiator school, one of the biggest things is you want to humanize yourself to someone who takes you. So you want to tell them who your name is, that you have your children, what your children's names are, what you what you like, because it's hard to hurt people that you like. Yeah. yeah. So the yeah. same psychology, so the same psychology works if I know you although it didn't work up there with Minneapolis, but that was an anomaly because I didn't understand that either. If you knew the brother, what, why did you do that? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Right. Yeah. Yes. So that was just a, an abnormal, but not abnormal. Yeah. Because we see these situations, but it's still harder to hurt people that you know. And it's easier to get along and resolve something with people that you do know. Yeah. So yeah, that's important. And so if you ride around all day, never talk to no other human, you're a police officer, your window up. The only time people gonna see you is when, you know, I get out my car to do my job and I'm like, why y'all messing up? Well, you know, they ain't gonna feel you because they don't know you either. Right. Right. So, you know, that that's just a bit and that's not all there is, but that's just a big part of it. That's a big part of it, you know. Yeah, I I, I agree. I definitely agree. I, I think um, 
like you said, one way to combat that is to have more community outreach with, uh, you know, the neighborhoods and things like that. Um, a few, I, uh, I used to go to New York sometime during the summertime. And I know up there, they had like a police athletic league. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, where they play basketball and things like that. But it's like, you know, in the inner city, it was up there in the projects. Right. And, and you know, you had the police athletic league, you know, had some police, you know, come and talk to them, to some of the kids and things like that. So it was like the outreach, like you said, you know, is bringing a, um, you know, a humanizing factor to the policemen and things like that. And it helps build equity and trust between them and the community. I think that's one of the places where we can start. And I absolutely agree with you on that. And, um, you know, and to piggyback on another point of yours about, uh, you know, the points where you say, like, where people uh, can't put themselves in a situation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons why we start to have you on the podcast because all this stuff going on, you only hear, like, perspective of people, people's opinions, how they feel, you know, and it's just raw emotion at the time, which is understood. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, we have to be level-headed and try to understand each other. Uh, communication is a part of the solution. Right. And I'm glad that you was available to do this and to talk to the people and let them know, you know, some of the things that's what's up. Because I know, speaking personally from the situation from the past weekend, you know, I learned a few insights about that that I necessarily didn't even think of. Mm-hmm. So... I'm thankful for that. Well, and uh, yeah, me too, man. I appreciate. It. Well, I appreciate y'all having me. Let me share one last thing, because you know, um, lastly, my family has endured the loss of a loved one through a police shooting. So, you know, I saw what it did to my uncle and my aunt and my cousin, and mm-hmm. just a little bit that I can read. His name was Aziz James. He was a a Bay Area rapper. Probably would have been pretty famous by now. But um, he got shot on April 5th, 2008. But my thing is this. Um, when I looked at the, the tactics that they utilized, because he, he had basically, apparently he had smoked some marijuana. He had, he had did a show, smoked some marijuana, they said. He ended up stabbing a friend and stabbing another friend, but he was, in a, he was in an area where he was by himself. And then they sent the canine in. He grabbed the canine, and I guess was about to harm the canine, and they shot him. Mm. I didn't understand. Right. So here's what I'm saying about when, and with your point, West Terrence, is so important about preserving life. Um, where I had the problem at with the set of circumstances was who else was he going to harm if he was by himself? Yes. All right. So one of the things that we need to talk about in police reform, and this is where it also gets um, kind of iffy for a lot of people because people want to save lives, but saving lives take time. So in a situation yeah. like that, you might be there for a couple of hours and then you can't let people drive through to their home. Now they mad at you. How dare you? But we're trying to save lives. Yeah. So sometimes right. what people have got to understand, and this is also where the pressure comes in from the political side as well, leadership and everything, you're going to make some people inconvenience in order to save lives. Yeah. But it has to be about saving life. That's, yeah. that's what's important. And I felt like 
that set of circumstances, even though that officer was ruled justified in what they what he did by shooting my cousin. It was not about it wasn't about preserving life because there was no one else for him to harm. He was by himself. So that's where we got to get back to. Yeah. Preserving life. And if it inconvenience you and whether you rich or you poor, if it inconvenience you, so be it. Yeah. yeah, not everybody's you know, gonna be happy. Right, but but they can be alive if we can yeah. if we can do our best to keep them alive. Right. And that so that's the narrative we have to, you know, if we're gonna start with anything about less people need to be alive, you know, like yeah. you could I I you know even I I really can't even understand the whole Minneapolis and I I mean they they've had a couple of instances and I don't know who was training them people, not to disparage them up there, but. I don't know what they were doing up there. And I ain't saying I'm the top cop or, you know, Judge Dredd, but <laughs> I still don't know what they were doing up there because some of that stuff, yeah. the incidents they have, I I ain't never heard of. Every state is autonomous. So what what you might do and might be similar and yet dissimilar in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, we all do some things similar but it's some things are dissimilar. And also, um, everyone don't have a union. Georgia is a right-to-work state. Yeah. There are no unions. Yeah. So when people talk about that, um, like they say, well, y'all unions, we won't have one. I wish we did, because yeah. we got paid. Yeah. I wish we had a uh, teaching. Right. You know? <laughs> so, 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 so there are some things people need to understand. What they do in New York, New York City actually is different than like the New mm. York State Police. If you, and then um, also, so William Peel, who is considered the father of modern police, and he started the London Metropolitan Police. He said the police are the the public are the police, and the police are the public. So in other words, you who you get is from the community. Now, one of the things they talked about was having police officers who come from the community that they police in, and that's a good point. That's a good point. You should develop individuals because they would care a little bit more. And Macon, that used to be a requirement. You could only live 28 miles outside of Macon in order to be in law enforcement. I actually, that's a good, that's, I, I like that. Right. And a lot of places used to do that. But when it became hard to get police officers, they had to change right. the, those rules because everyone can't do their yeah. job. So. So, you know, those I just wanted to add those elements to you all so that, you know, because, you know, you can't lump. You can lump us because, like I said, the critique is, is, is valid. But in the same token, understand that there are some dynamics that are not the same. In Chicago, they have unions. New York, they have a union. L.A., they have unions. Georgia, nope. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. <laughs> and, then, and then in Georgia, and then in Georgia, if you work for an, uh, the sheriff, you outside of three different sheriff's offices out of 159, uh, if the sheriff don't like your face, they can get rid of you, and there's nothing nobody can do. About it. Goodness, yeah, yeah. So, there is no so you know, and so you y'all do understand that the sheriff is the highest form of law enforcement in the state of Georgia, that the chief law enforcement officer, chief jail, and the chief officer of the court, there's no other form of law enforcement higher than the sheriff in a county. They're called the high sheriff for that reason. Mm. But but what happens is every city, because they want to create revenue, 
by citation. They create an ordinance or resolution certified by the state legislature and creates a police department or a county police department. So, but like Macon, they consolidated their police department back into the sheriff's office, which was a growing thing at one point back in the early uh, 2000s. They were talking, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of places was talking about getting rid of it, but because of people don't want to give up the authority to be able to tell the chief of police what to do. Right. So, so that's a big part of it. That's once again is the politicizing of law enforcement. Okay. So, there's a lot of elements um, there that you know we could talk about different things, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that go on more than just you know why something happened. Right. Absolutely. You know. So. So. Hopefully, all uh, this is, you know, kind of give y'all some uh, uh, a better perspective in the day to day life of a police officer. Yeah, I think I think we've learned a lot from this session, and then hopefully, all of our listeners uh, they learned a lot from it too. And uh, I want to thank you once again for making yourself available to us, and uh, thank you for you know sitting in the hot seat. <laughs> right, not a problem, my brother. Anytime, anytime. All right. With that being said, that will conclude this episode of Rants, Rays, and BS.